uh, as I alluded to on the, the pre-roll, I really do love white noise. I have been using it to go to sleep for years and years with an assortment of ASMR and all sorts of other things. But unfortunately, uh, Michael's daughter has joined the color guard. And uh, so I, I white noise is all I can get these days. Uh, there's no other type. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> it's a pre-roll joke that didn't need to live, and I still kept it alive because I just I didn't want to let it die. I'm sorry. Stop, stop. It's already dead. Stop the insanity. <laughs> Won't someone please think of the children? Speaking of Susan Powder, who's seen Susan Powder these days? Uh, I There's a really deep pull that I don't think either. Okay, moving on. Crazy lady used to be on infomercials. Looked like Sinead O'Connor. Sounded like a cat being dragged through a razor blade factory. Hmm. Uh, but yes, she had a program called Stop the Insanity, which absolutely, based on her commercials, it didn't work for her. Uh-oh. So I don't know how she was able to go out and endorse it for anybody else to run through. For a but. second, I thought you were maybe referring to that little old lady that did the sex show. Can't, what was her name? Do you guys remember? Dr. Ruth Westheimer? Yes. Yeah. I, I, broke, I broke her Westheimer once. It was terrible. Oh, she was great. I, I wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't actually get that far with her, unfortunately, but, uh, you know, the accent threw me off. I kept waiting for her to put me in chains in a gas chamber, and she said, no, we don't do this anymore. <laughs> Listen two episodes to, uh, ago to your own show. You would know. It's German people are wonderful people. We don't do this. Oh, by the way, I Uh-oh. watched uh, I watched All Quiet on the Western Front. Did you now? I did, and... So I will say I thought it was beautifully shot, beautifully filmed. Oh, here we go. But, but I thought it took all of the heart and soul of the novel and became very much just a generic World War One film. I do not feel that it uh, touched on the themes enough or appropriately of the novel, nor conveyed the... Uh, just the well, just the soul. You know, basically, I think that the yeah, I, I don't know. I was just I was disappointed by it. It, it felt so, more like a generic war film than an actual adaption of the novel. We're we're gonna go down two separate routes here. Oh, and the first question I'm going to ask is, child, who hurt you? <laughs> well, many. Many people. <laughs> so much negativity here. When all, no, I all, you know, we're, with, I we're thought trying it was a beautifully be shot film. Ambassadors for things on this show, and no not negativity. just run Picard into the ground for four hours. Well, no, and, I spoke yeah. very highly of this. And season. I'm, this season I'm is this trying season. to shine a brilliant, shining light on Doctor Who, and you're over here like it's bullshit. This, you know, nonsense that they're trying to foist off on the watching public. <laughs> So it's, I'm. I used to be the negative one here. I was the one that was scaring people, Do and you have taken up the mantle. To me, I I spoke extremely it, highly of Picard this season. This season, <laughs> yes. yeah, the, the current the season. It's not like I'm the living in the past. Two seasons that we had to run through in order to get to that. Unfortunately, well, they truly different. were awful. But this, no, I, I and I opened. <laughs> I opened with. I thought this film was beautifully shot, well acted. But, but as an but as an adaption of the novel uh-huh. failed miserably. And so on to my second point as a rebuttal is to say that going into any movie, you are basically getting the fast food equivalent of the book. If it's an adaptation, you'll get some of a sousson of the flavor that you like about a book. But like even miniseries adaptations, they remove so much from the bone to try to get a book 
into publication. Well, I'm like, going to push back. De- I'll push back again here because I the, defy the ni- you to f- tell me something that actually adheres to a book and gives you all the color and splendor of no, what the book conveys. No, you are 100 right that Aragon. way. Aragon. <laughs> <laughs> the Aragon video game was amazing as well. Exactly, I agree because yeah. it was based off an amazing movie that was based off an amazing book. <laughs> okay, if if you do a dramatization of "Go the Fuck to Sleep" starring Sam Jackson, then you might win me over. But other than that, true. <laughs> Listen, the the 1930-something adaption that was 33 or whatever it was, adaption that we previously spoke about, a lot of that, the like the, the dialogue in that film was lifted directly from the book, like word for word from the book. Mm-hmm. So, so it did a fantastic job of conveying the sentiments of the novel because – it is like 90% the novel, right? In terms mm-hmm. of just the, the, the dialogue, the wording, everything. So to, to kind of push back on what you were saying there, I would say if you've already got an adaption of a film that, uh, from, or of a novel that has successfully kind of hit the beats of the novel, um, then I do not think there's a reason to revisit it unless you are providing some new, you know, piece to it. Or if the previous adaption had failed to properly convey the sentiments of the novel and you want to retake it on to make it that point. Here, I would say that it was a successful generic World War I film that only utilized the name of the novel to cash in on the popularity of the novel. Well, I'll tell you this. I've never read the novel and I never watched the other movie. And quite frankly, I don't care to. <laughs> so it did precisely what it was intended to do. It was entertaining. Uh, so it was definitely, we'll, no, it was definitely we'll entertaining. We'll leave it to, you know, the, the other folks to, to run off and, and carry it, it, the flag it was forward I'm not, for I'm arts not and culture. Cause yeah, that's, I, you, you may have misjudged my character as a human being. <laughs> if you think that I'm over here crusading for the academics so that we can keep everything pristine is, yeah, that was not what I was advertising that film as. No, uh, I, I know that it was, it was a very well done film, but, it was but you wanted to get a shot in. So I, here's to you. I appreciate it. <laughs> Well, I could have just bunkered down in my trench, but I thought you, well, you should have probably just let the tank run by. <laughs> uh, no, I'm sorry that my recommendation went to, went to field and I will be sure to avoid giving you any further recommendations. in the Oh, future. dear. Oh, my goodness. Do you, do you need do, do we need a little violin? No, do we need a little- <laughs> I, I think what it is proven is that you can't be pleased and uh, you're just going to come to the table anticipating that there has to be every vibrant splendor tailored to your needs in order for you to appreciate something and then when they finally do it they'll cancel it because no one else will appreciate it uh, hans picard uh moving into the the sundry wastelands well, picard of, didn't get know. canceled because of this season no picard. they were they knew that they were going to run into a deadline here sooner or later well that's true either yeah. the main character Clock's of the ticking. show <laughs> so yeah who knows i i just want to state emphatically <laughs> That I I disagree with the notion that somebody can critique something or or take uh take issue with a particular piece of art or fiction or whatever, mm-hmm. um, and have that mean that they are being negative or hated the thing in general. I thought the film was very entertaining mm-hmm. and enjoyable, but with flaws. Flaws doesn't pointing out those flaws does not mean that I'm a negative Nancy. No, uh, and I do it all the time. I'm just busting balls. <laughs> uh, I'm rooting more and more for that mic as every moment goes by. Uh huh. Yeah, and that's why you're not a host. So uh, 
<laughs> what a wonderful world we live in here. And speaking of hosts by the eternal, <laughs> behold, <laughs> this is the countdown to the end of the disinformed podcast. I'm Shane. And, and I'm, I'm Michael. Michael. See, you finally get it once. Uh, <laughs> Whoa! Got it in one. I didn't have to drag it 10 seconds in order to get you to sync up for the first time. So that's, yes. that's fantastic. It's fabulous. I applaud your efforts. And it'll never happen again. So yeah, we're on episode 190. Uh, I'm going to make it to 200 and then I'm, I'm calling it quits. I think I'm going to retire once that's a milestone I was happy to meet. And, uh, and then y'all can talk amongst yourselves. Oh no. I can't I don't, fill in gaps. I can't tell if that was, uh, a no, I, I think, <laughs> no, I think 200 is a wonderful number to hit. And as long as I do that, everything after that's candy. Uh, just so, gravy. That makes sense. Yep. So I'm, we're, we're, it's the countdown to destruction here. <laughs> or, well, or a symphony of destruction <laughs> and i'm the negative one yeah absolutely that's why we're quitting <laughs> oh, <wow>. <laughs> <laughs> it's a wonderful way to lay roses on the grave we've hit cousin oliver and uh now the brady bunch is going to get canceled so so what do we have to talk about this evening gents marsha 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 Ooh, marsha <laughs> good improv tried i tried you know martha marcia pretty much the same thing i would so. like to see ben affleck recast in the brady bunch i think that would be an entertaining <laughs> spin he could play any of the characters i i think he has the dexterity as an actor I, he could play cindy i think he should play all the characters oh my god yeah <laughs> just deep fake his face onto all of the brady bunch well, characters with yes. the exception of the maid you have to bring jennifer lopez in for the maid Oh, yipes. Color guard? No, she was in Made in Manhattan. No, she was in Made in Manhattan. You made a racist joke. I'm calling in the color guard. We're going to, we're going to save the the podcast. (laughs) That was, that was a reference to her past work. The views of of Dr. Michael do not reflect the views (laughs) of the disinformed podcast in any way, shape or form. And that would be his film criticism, his television criticism, or his casting aspersions at the great latino people we're gonna just let that go well okay for the record i'm half oh, mexican God, here <laughs> which half I, i'm not racist but <laughs> it was a reference to her past work i have it quarantined into my right leg that's precisely where all of it is located so wow. i uh in the midst of my walk today scrambled past uh one of those porta johns that they have out and why do all Porta John names have to be punny? That's the only question that I had. This because because the huh. the name of the Porta John company for this particular one was Willie Make It. <laughs> <laughs> now that's fine, other than the fact that that immediately conjures an image of a man not making it, mm-hmm. and that's uh, yeah. I don't need to think about that every time I look at that Porta John. Is this there will just be a giant sort of like wine stain on the ground from where this person's hemorrhoid burst Weinstein? as he was trying to get himself <laughs> Weinstein. Yes, you know, uh, just cr- cruising down. Yeah, port wine, in fact. <laughs> like Gorbachev's head just, you know, collided with the concrete and settled in. Dusty Rhodes belly, just right there for everybody to, to enjoy. Mm, Dusty Rhodes. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I kind of like the, the punniness aspect of it. It's it's cute. It's clever. 
it's just there as a as a crap catcher. You know, it's I, I don't think we need to overthink this. Yeah, it's not I mean, all I... quiet on the Western Front. We don't need to put that much consideration <laughs> into it. Oh dear, all is not quiet now, on granted, the Southern Front. They're both shitty, uh, apparently. But uh, I, I, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this abuse this onslaught i'm ah. just trying to keep the show entertaining it's really all that i have left so uh, at least for another these, 10 episodes these are yeah these are my last desperate gasps at trying to keep the comedy alive before i i just completely succumb and i just sit here and <laughs> let the two of you talk so That's no I, I, <laughs> that is a terrifying scary, actually uh well, uh, I mean, we can really talk about whatever y'all want. Uh, I mean, if we want, I can push through with uh, the final conclusion of the CPD stuff, or we could save that for another time if you're in the mood for a loose fit episode. Uh, Michael looks very nonplussed. <laughs> I I keep thinking we're going to be finishing the Cherry Pop and Daddies, because then that gives me more motivation to finish my own episode. And then every time you put it off, I'm like, I can wait another week. I don't need to work oh, on it right now. Well, I've got it up right now. I'm perfectly fine to go through with it. It's just Shane was like, so what are we talking about tonight? So I was just throwing it out there. If There was your segue, motherfucker. I mean, you you could have just dove in. Like a grenade thrown into a trench. You are tenting. You did say you are tenting. You got it up. It's all that J-Lo talk. That that is true. A Cub Scout did pitch a tent in my Speedos. (laughs) (laughs) Still beating the Cub Scouts again. Ugh. They won't learn. Right. They won't learn. Well, for, for the uninitiated amongst you sitting at home steepling your fingers as opposed to your pants pockets, uh, you will know that what we occasionally do here, <laughs> not often, not anymore, <laughs> is that uh, we like to dive into random esoterica, and in the course of explaining it, we lie. It is occasionally fun, it is often puzzling, and it is frequently unentertaining. But we are constantly here for you. And don't ever, ever say anything different or, you know, Doc will find you. But uh, we don't let you leave disinformed. No, no, no. There's a Dane and Watt at the end of the episode. We explained what we lied about and why in the hopes that we can help to make this just a little more engaging, at least for those listening. And that's Michael's conceit. Well, then on tonight's stunning conclusion of the stunning Terry Poppin' Daddies. <laughs> epic saga that we have been covering over the last uh, several weeks there tonight gentlemen i have four lies for you Ooh, fabulous yes so where we last left off the cherry pop and daddies had succeeded in having their one hit wonder risen to fame you know found themselves on letterman in the tonight show and uh then went into a bit of a decline as they struggled against uh the record company's expectations of a follow-up hit along the same lines uh and you know to their credit releasing an album very much in the vein of their previous work um however you know not doing so good (laughs) so we left off in uh 2001 so now we as we move into part three we uh We'll start to review the hiatus and then limited touring that takes place. So in February 2002, after over a year without playing, the Daddies ended their hiatus by headlining the festival at Sandpoint in Sandpoint, Idaho, which was followed by a series of sporadic appearances at various music festivals throughout the Northwest. So really just kind of getting together, doing a couple gigs here and there, but nothing 
of any uh, major reference. Just so moving some merch. You know. Yeah, exactly. So despite the sudden resurgence of activity, the band resolutely announced no future plans for recording new material or undertaking any extensive tours. Favoring a change of pace from their formerly intensive touring habits, the Daddies began scheduling their performances entirely around the band members' desires and personal availability, playing as few as 8 to 10 shows a year and limiting their appearances largely to Northwest shows or commissions for one-off, quote-unquote, swing-and-hits concerts at various festivals and venues across the United States. An example of that would actually be the show that I caught just a couple months back there, where they were just at a swing event here on the East Coast, just as a one-off. There's a degree to which I imagine that is probably even more irksome than, you know, considering that, that you're not necessarily happy with the girl that brought you to the dance, and that that is what people continually call upon you to keep producing in spite of the fact that you've somewhat uh, assiduously indicated you're, you're not thrilled about being pigeonholed. Yeah, That's got to be a little chafing. I yeah. wonder if it is more annoying now or then, because like if we're, you know, the, mm. we're talking about early 2002, right? So their big one hit wonder is 97, 98, right? Mm. So this is just a few years removed from that. And, you know, of course, that was just that album was just a culmination of a bunch of swing songs that they had done from records in the recent past before that. So they'd really been heavily, you know, actively creating swing music and doing swing music just in the few years before that. So, you know, early 2002 being called to, you know, do swing and hits. Yes, would be irksome when you're trying to kind of get back into your like, hey, we don't want to be pigeonholed, but at least it's still relatively close to the the time frame. So I, mm -hmm. I can't help but wonder if it is more annoying now, fast forward to 2022, 2023, 20 years later, where you're like, now you have decades of this where you're just like, oh my goodness, come on, enough with it. Or if you've just kind of, well, this is life and it pays the bills and it's a living. Yeah. Well, it's a living. Rock. <laughs> Yeah, I I don't know whether or not like it is more sort of abrasive in the moment because you're still kind of chafing at it of like no I I think we we have more in the in the can here we can get out there we can do this we can finally win it over and I, you wonder whether it's just kind of attrition at some point I can speak to attrition I know this very well uh, so yeah it's interesting but. To their point, though, if you're still making money, like you can't really sneeze at it. If people are still excited to see you, like I, I would find that difficult to just slap a fan base in the face of being like, yeah, no, we're just not going to come out and play for you. You're not good enough for us to be there. <laughs> it's a little bit different than saying like, I wish this were different, but I appreciate that you at least like this thing that we do. Yeah, super easy, too, when you consider like they had gone from playing hundreds of shows a year to now just a handful, right? Mm. You know, where, and you're really just doing it like close to home in the Pacific Northwest. So you're like, oh, okay, I can pick up a gig at the local bar or whatever. Um, and not really have to go out of your way. You can just still live your own life and just fit this in when you can. It's, it's fascinating in that aspect because it becomes very much like a normal, you know, local band, right? Mm. That's just doing the regular, you know, gigs around that they can in the city after having just been on like Leno and everything. Yeah, but you do have the name notoriety at that point, which sort of sets you a pace away from being you're a high class hooker at that point as opposed yeah. to otherwise, which sorry, sex worker. Escort. Escort. Well, sex work is is good work. We exactly. established that previously. It's the Lord's work. 
Indeed. It's a lot of missionary involved, but in different capacity. That's right. On my, de- on, on my knees, Dan. On my D's. Scorn, <laughs> scorn points for the afterlife. Getting, uh, getting them D's on my knees. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's somebody's kink, I'm sure. Oh, God. All right. <laughs> Don't think All about right, it too much. <laughs> that was a tributary that I didn't need to go down, but now I'm just like, okay, so I, someone out there is is pushing somebody's legs together around their genitals at this very moment, and it's you've just brought that into vivid reality for me. So thank you. I mean, for if some reason fetish I just, is a thing, then why yeah, not just go I, up the calf? Yeah, this and whole at least conversation you get moisture. Just made me think of the uh-huh. gimp from Pulp Fiction. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're in that suit, uh, you're you're not screwing anything. It's, you're just going to stick to everything. And then there's that chafing I've been using, uh, or at least talking about the word chafe I have used. I was like chafing you far using more than or? I needed to. <laughs> there's yes. baby powder, my friend. I should say it, quote unquote, the chafing that I am I'm using. But uh, well, anyways, over the next few years, all daddy's activities was put <laughs> was put on further hold following following talk of a gimp suit that phrase didn't necessarily blend as easily as we thought it would after the chafing right. the daddies were put on hold That's all right. daddies activities stopped once the gimp suit was off <laughs> oh dear yes uh, the gimp told the daddies to put all activities <laughs> On hold. Gimp gimp suit riot. The new Uh, greatest hits of the Cherry Pop and Daddies. As the members (laughs) returned Mm. returned to their family lives and full-time jobs. While Steve Perry uh, chose to resume his education at the University of Oregon, graduating in 2004 with a BS in molecular biology. So, Steve Perry. Is that true? uh, It is true. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So uh, Steve Perry and Jason Moss, who was uh, the Cherry Pop and Daddy's guitarist, uh, also started a theatrical glam punk group called White Hot Odyssey, or Who, uh, during this time, and released an album on Jive Records in 2004, actually, under this band. So in frontman Steve Perry's words, White Hot Odyssey was an attempt to bring the role, quote unquote, back to rock and roll. (laughs) An experiment in sexual, stupid, big, dumb rock, reminiscent of the glam, hard rock, and proto-punk of the 1970s. Did he actually say that? Put the roll back in rock and roll? He sure did. Okay. Yep. You Uh, just have to spell it differently, but it works, you know. So Perry explained that he had always wanted to front a band of this style since he was an adolescent and listened to groups such as the New York Dolls, the Stooges, Sweet, and T-Rex. In in a nod to the extravagant and outlandish fashion of glam rock, and perhaps the early years of the daddies we've covered before, uh, i.e. feather boas and other and such androgynous attire, the White Hot Odyssey band was styled around Louis the Fourteenth with powdered wigs and knee-length pantaloons. The really? band, yep, hell yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's actually pretty cool. There's pictures uh, of it uh, here and there. The I, band, I thought the knee fetish was weird, but yeah, I mean, well, you know, you know, it, if Michael's it gets you very off, aroused right if now. Get, if it gets you off, it gets you off. So that's a T-shirt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> The band originally formed is Vagiant, uh, under the what? name Va- the should, the band. You should go get that checked. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, they actually played their first <laughs> show in early 2003 under the band name Vagiant, and the band 
keep in mind, this is with the uh, lead singer of the Cherry Pop and Daddies and the main guitarist of the Cherry Pop and Daddies. Their first show in 2003, they served as an opening act for the Cherry Pop and Daddies. But due to the their lavish costumes, you know, the pantaloons, the wigs and, you know, powdered wigs and, and makeup and all that, uh, most people uh, in the audience had no idea that it was, in fact, Perry performing in the opening act as well as the main act. Lot so twist. <laughs> yeah, it's actually pretty cool. And uh, it, they're actually really cool. So shortly afterwards, they had to change their name to uh, Vagiant UK following the discovery of another band uh, under the name of Vagiant. And then... <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah and then finally they settled on uh, i'm going i'm going no on that one no you're calling they a lie change it to vagiant uk uh, they did that's true <laughs> <sighs> like blink blink 182 is is arbitrary enough but vagiant uk sounds like you know this is the the international branch of vagiant <laughs> yeah. and no i was thinking of that yeah it's like oh it's like the office uk in the office like of course Disneyland right, Paris. Expanding. Yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> why UK? Nope. Did they ever explain why it was UK? Well, I think it's because they were going, well, actually, I was, I was going to say because of maybe Louis, but that would obviously not be the UK. Yeah. It's <laughs> their, uh, the, the University of Kentucky, I think, is what they're alluding oh, to. Oh, okay. <laughs> but yeah, actually, I don't know why uh, UK they, you know, Louisville. But, yeah. It's, but it's, it's, in, it's appropriate. It's in Lexington. Don't don't quibble with me, Michael. <laughs> These are the jokes, kid. Just run with it. Uh, I can't run. Yeah, and they uh, they ended up going under White Hot Odyssey after signing to Jive Records to avoid any legal compli- uh, complications because of the other band names. Naturally, yes. So, and I think White Hot Odyssey uh, just was a much better band name in general. I mean, you can default it to the Who, and then it just sounds cooler than. Yeah, and that's not going to get you into any legal problems <laughs> whatsoever. Well, no, they're of not course. the. The Who. They're well, just he just the said The Who, though. Who. So, I mean, we're, we're booking Earth and got Black Sabbath. No, I feel like it's so, it's it's an accident. People think that they're booking The Who, but they actually right. just booked Who. White Hot Odyssey. Like, yeah. oh, who are you guys? <laughs> that is how Black Sabbath had, you know, to change their name, if you're not familiar with that story. Uh, Black Sabbath was touring as Earth when they uh, initially had had formed, and then they were booked by a club promoter. And the they when they showed up, they're like, "Well, we didn't we didn't book you. We wanted Earth. Like we are Earth. Like okay, but we wanted the other Earth then. So where's fire? In order to avoid these entanglements, <laughs> uh, they changed up and uh, and went to to Black Sabbath. Oh, I, I actually did, did mention, not know that. You did mention that I think in the uh, Suicide Solution episode, mm-hmm. if I recall correctly. In yes. the anal's oh, here. Right. Uh-huh. Wow, back. there's a callback. Yeah. Mm. Well done, Michael, the new arbiter here. <laughs> <laughs> so in 2004, White Hot Odyssey was signed to Jive Records, largely due to the success that the similarly theatrical hard rock glam band The Darkness had seen. Um, when they had released their self-titled debut in November 2004. I thought you were going to say Backstreet Boys. Oh, sadly, no. Missed by that much. That's so right. close. So close. So their self-titled debut, uh, White Hot Odysseys, uh, included such songs as Good Head, Spit It Up, Three in Bed, Lick the Pole, Ride the Snake. Uh, those are all... Um, oh, and Head Cheerleader. Uh, so the the... <laughs> I don't. I don't agree with the head cheerleader. I think that one is a lie. Uh, no, that's that's true. <laughs> that's true. Uh, this, so, but I when, do want to point out 
the hyper focus that was drawn to the plight of the working man. <laughs> this is not the cherry pop and daddy. Oh, I'm okay? sorry. This is, the, this is I'm white sorry. Hot I misspoke. The plight of the working female or sex worker, as we've discussed earlier here. So this album is so radically different from the cherry pop and daddies that it is. It doesn't uh, sound that no, much. Not really. No, it, no. Not, well, not well. For, actually, yeah. Like when you, even with the lyrics and stuff. Like so. <laughs> yes. I, so <laughs> it's a horse of uh, a different color, but still it, a horse. Well, yeah. it's it's funny yeah. just because like the music itself is just so so different. It is very much like seventies glam rock, and mm-hmm. there's no horns or anything. None of the big band sound that you get with the Cherry Pop and Daddies. And the way he sings, it I, it's hard to even tell that it's Steve Perry, um, but. I love it. When I, as soon as I first heard this album, uh, which again I didn't find until after the fact, but shortly after the fact, I stumbled across this circa like 2006. Mm-hmm. Um, so only a couple of years after it had been released, still during the period of like dormant Cherry Pop and Daddy. So this was like, oh, you know, there's something here, and it was so good. But it, it is very, very simplistic and compared to the song structures of the Cherry Pop and Daddies, which are just so intricate that you can kind of get lost in them. But this is just kind of a nice like classic rock band thing that you can chuck on and. Uh, but don't expect to like you know be blown away by the 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 structure of the songs. Like for instance, "Ride the Snake," love the song. It's probably one of my favorites on the album. But the like catchy refrain of it is like a uh, "Spread your legs, spread your legs, spread your legs. Come on and ride the snake." <laughs> There's not a lot of depth to that. So, Subtle. So yeah. you're not expecting to be blown while being blown. Yeah. Is and, that one of the it, song it, titles? Uh, uh, yes, Michael. You know, you need to get together with Steve. You could uh, come out with a second album. Uh, it just pop in my head with the uh, head like cheerleader song. <laughs> it also has a similarly subtle lyric of mm. "I want head, head, head from the head cheerleader." <laughs> I, I think we've firmly established the prurient point here. Yes. But, uh, well, I'm so- just more shocked that there wasn't a lawsuit from the other Steve Perry, since they're now encroaching on his turf. Oh, that's true, yes. Trying to bring the rock debacle here. It's going to be some Steve-on-Steve violence, the Highlander prospect here. There can be only one. There can only be one Steve Perry. Well, Perry, he he noted the reason for like these very simple, pared-down record here under the White Hot Odyssey, which, again, is a very good album, but very simple, uh, is that he just wanted something that he could easily record while he was focusing on his molecular biology degree. So this was more just like... Hey, I'm like, <laughs> I'm doing the molecular biology degree here. I don't have time for like all the, you know, cherry pop and daddy stuff there. That takes a lot of work. Let me just like jot down some quick songs. You know what? I want head from the head cheerleader. Head, head, head from the head cheerleader. Okay, let's move on. Next song. <laughs> you can be one thing. It's okay, Steve. No yeah. one's going to cast aspersions. Yeah, the uh, culmination of this side project was a 2005 performance on Saturday Night Live, actually, of the Hot Tub Party. Uh, one of the songs from the album. Uh, they were introduced by jo- uh, guest host John Cusack, who was performing, uh, promoting, sorry, a Hot Tub Time Machine, which the song appeared on. So the White Hot Odyssey band under Jive Records actually did have a small bit of success, uh, but this was also their, their one and done album. Yeah, I think Michael and I are both scratching our heads. Here. Yeah, the white, the Hot Tub Time Machine, two thousand five. Yeah, so they, yeah, and they. Mm, I disagree. I, I'm going to call bullshit on that. Okay, yes, that's bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think Hot Tub Time, uh, Time Machine actually is 2005, isn't it? Oh. I, I Yeah, no, I'm more <laughs> of like the, the two, you know, culminated in them bringing them on. They probably weren't even on Saturday Night Live here. No, they weren't. Uh, okay. All right. <laughs> but they did have a song called uh, Hot Tub Party, 
Okay. Um, Hot and Tub so- Time Machine was 2010. Ah, damn. The the chronicler <laughs> of, uh, let's say, questionable B-film content here, not to do, hoist it on my own petard here, is is our Michael. Very big fan, so you can yeah, very I, infrequently slide those past him. Yeah, well, I mean, like, they had a song called Hut, Hot Tub Party, and I thought, well, I could just maybe try to, you know, squeak it in there, and I even tried to, like, throw John Cusack with it and stuff, but yes, I did not think of the time difference here. We should have gone into the hot tub time machine, but I do. I like your title you proposed better. I think the hot tub time machine is is a far more entertaining concept. That's right. For Star Wars fans everywhere, just seeing oh, Jabba's no. just Jabba right there. in a yeah. in a hot tub. Eat you Well, if it's not going to be Jabba there, I wouldn't mind seeing Princess Leia there. You know, Jabba, like Jabba, Jabba. Yes. So, all right. So, going into 2006, then um, this section is uh, Sesquiana. And the return to independent label. Yes, thank you. So following four years of relative inactivity as the band maintained their relaxed touring pace, Perry began writing material for a new Daddy's album in early 2006, claiming to have come to the realization of a cathartic reliance on songwriting. In 2006, they also played a performance at a venue named Richards on Richards, which is commonly known as Dicks on Dicks in Vancouver, British Columbia. Guys... (laughs) I yes. want to call bullshit, but I don't think that. I think it's true. I think it's true. Is it true? Is it true? It is true. It is true. That, it, well, it was true. Uh, <gasps> dicks on Dicks is no longer around. Oh, rest in peace, um, Dicks on Dicks. Yeah. Uh, this show actually marked the one-night return of the Dildorado, with <gasps> Perry citing the name of the venue as the inspiration for the return of the legendary vehicle. Bullshit. So the- you said it was lost to time and space in, like, the first part. That is correct. It is bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) I I was hoping that, uh, given that it is true that Richards on Richards was referred to as Dicks on Dicks, that saying Perry cited the name as the inspiration for the one night return of the Dildorado would successfully squeak on by. But I mean, my 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 heart is too good for me. I always believe one day the Dildorado will return when the time is right. But that that was not the time. The 2006 performance that I am referencing here, right? So when he's in the midst of writing stuff for Susquehanna, hasn't come out with it yet, but is writing stuff. This is the performance that I first saw the Cherry Papanatis live at. So the the venue here, Dicks on Dicks, that's where I first saw them. So uh, I was excited about like slipping that little bit in there. And then when I typed in the you know, Dicks on Dicks, because I figured that might get somebody to call the lie, I was like, no, that's not going to be bullshit. And then I was like, wait, Dicks on Dicks. That would have been the time for the Dildorado to return. All right, let's put this in. But I should have uh, eased up on the disappeared into the ether in the past so that it wouldn't have been so easily grabbed by you, sir. If you keep this up, we are calling the pun police. So just be <laughs> be advised. Yeah, so self-produced and recorded in Eugene during the summer of 2007, the Daddy's fifth album, Susquehanna, was released via digital download exclusively through the band's website in February 2008, receiving a limited CD release several months later. Taking the shape of a narrative concept album, which Perry detailed as a portrait of, quote, various relationships in decay, Susquehanna featured prominent strains of Latin and Caribbean-influenced music, incorporating flourishes of flamenco, <laughs> flamenco, Latin rock, and reggae into the band's traditional fare <laughs> of swing and ska. It is a it is a very much a Latin infused album. In oh. fact, the uh, 
the opening of the song or the the opening of the album is is with a song called Arancate and it's all in Spanish and then the last song on the album is the exact same song but called Bust Out and sung in in English so it's the English version so it's bookended by the same song uh which is just kind of neat mm-hmm. um and is was actually the second song that they've come out with in which Perry sings in Spanish, but it was the first one that I had heard because they actually released a Spanish version of Zoot Suit Riot um, back during its popularity. And then later, uh, Perry uh, sings a song in French as well. So it's kind of interesting to see him like dabbling in different languages and and hearing hearing that. Um, I actually remember when this came out uh, in early 2008, uh, by this point, like I had been super excited because I'd been you know, kind of a fan of the daddies there since 2004 or so. And, um, and so, you know, like I said, when I discovered them, they were, uh, dead essentially, right? Like nobody was, they weren't producing anything. They weren't touring. They weren't doing anything. They were in hiatus. And, uh, I used to go on these old, uh, you know, cherry pop and daddies revival forums and like chat with people in the, in the old revival forum, just postings. Um, so I was super, super, super excited when this album first dropped because it was like, Find, oh, new material of like mm. this band that I've discovered that I loved, but then found them right after they had ceased to be a band. Um, and during this time, I had uh, just finished maybe six months earlier, uh, two years of college Spanish. And then I had taken Spanish all through uh, high school as well. But like I was having difficulty like figuring out what the hell he was saying <laughs> for it because it was just, you know, my poorly uh, – and interpreted spanish so i remember like chatting on like uh, and emailing friends via like hotmail hey like you know here's this song can you like do you know what he might be saying here with like the, the people that had been in my spanish class and so i just remember remember all that so it's a little fun Free google memories. translate yes the, yeah the rigors of dealing with things you didn't understand yeah it was it was it was fun back then um okay so the daddies embarked on another full-length tour in support of susquehanna in mid-2008 followed by a headline tour of Europe, their first visit to the continent since 1998. In July 2009, the Daddies announced having signed to independent label Rock Ridge Music for the release and national distribution of two albums, one, a reissue of Susquehanna, and two, Skaboy JFK, The Skunk and Hits of the Cherry Poppin' Daddies, a compilation of the Daddies' ska material called from their first five albums. They named the album The Skunkin' Hits in reference to their unique mix of punk and ska influence. Perry explained that fans had been suggesting the concept of a ska collection for years and that such an album might help show a different side of the daddies than the original quote-unquote swing band persona that they had generally been recognized for. Ska Boy JFK was released in September 2009 to a largely positive critical reception, followed by further touring in 2010, taking the daddies back across Europe and the United States, as well as appearing alongside Fishbone and the Black Seeds at the 11th annual Victoria Ska Fest once again in beautiful British Columbia, where the band played the first all-ska set of their career, and another show I attended. Oh. Yeah, that was a... Super exciting. And they're playing the Ska Festival here in Hampton, you know, later this year. So it's going to be a, a neat to see them at yet another Ska Festival in, in a different country. Um, I also remember when Ska Boy JFK came out there. That was when I was just finishing up my second. I was like midway through my second bachelor degree. And I remember sitting there 
uh, in between classes and just like kind of like with my headphones on and the UBC library and just like listening to all the songs like back to back and like kind of talking to people in class and trying to spread the word, get people to listen to it uh, somewhat unsuccessfully. <laughs> just handing out the uh, tapes Flyers, and everything yeah. like <laughs> – Listen to this. It's great. I promise. You're like a guy trying to sell his mixtape on the downtown streets. Yeah. Just take this. It'll yeah. be $25. Yeah, going up to random people on the SkyTrain, which is like the subway system for BC. Um, and just like They call the subway <laughs> system the SkyTrain. Well, I said it's like the uh, subway system because it's not underground. Well, most of it is not underground. It's mostly like actually you know elevated. Right? So like it's, it's a just- monorail. Yeah, or, or an elevated train, or an yeah, elevated it's, it's train. More, it, yeah, because it's not. It's mostly not running like along the ground, like in Austin, like the train system there, the monorail there, like that is like you know cutting through traffic and stuff, right? And where you gotta like stop. That's not the way this is. It's 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 elevated, right? Like uh, the entire track system for the most part is elevated, with a couple exceptions when you're like going into like Columbia and stuff. That does go underground, and it does become a bit of a subway station for a few stops. Um. <laughs> All of that is completely unnecessary, and uh, for those of you... I, I also like it. Yeah, that's what Michael decided to take outrage with. I was interested. When you hear something called Sky and you know a subway is underground, you got to be like, oh, that's a little bit weird. Well, the it's Sky mass train, transit. Is sky. He yeah. misspoke. <laughs> Thank well, you. I didn't even Thank you I didn't even speak. Him. I was yes. I was using it as a reference. It is like the subway system. I was Well, <laughs> when you hear a subway system, you <laughs> think you a that, train. Do you see that movement? That's me sending up a signal flare from the weeds. <laughs> I don't have enough fucking breadcrumbs to get back home. <laughs> all right. All right. Anyway, so they played in Vancouver or in Victoria for the Ska Festival there and uh and life was back with the band, right? We've got a new album out. Things are going well. They're touring around. It's 2010 now. Um so shortly after the release of Ska Boy JFK, Perry already began an or uh, had then announced rather that he had already begun plans uh, for the Daddy's next studio album, revealing the band would be returning to swing music for their first all swing album since Zoot Suit Riot, oh, and their no. first, yeah, yeah, exactly. So they did the, the ska compilation, and now they're going to come out with another album. It's going to be all swing. Initial production for the album, titled White Teeth Black Thoughts, began in March 2011, though lasted infrequently throughout the year, as. <laughs> 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 I just have that spelled as T H O T and uh <laughs> Oh no. Oh dear. Oh no. <laughs> Back with the white hot hyperbole. Oh, bring again. in the color guard. Bring in the color guard. Oh jeez. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Yes. <laughs> so talking about thoughts, got it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh man, that yeah, I never thought too of that. Too hot to handle, too cold to hold. <laughs> I, I think Shane, I don't, I don't think I'll ever be able to think of that album title again without <laughs> thinking it, of it's this. A, it's a Pornhub catalog. It's yeah. not a freaking, you know, it's a category that you would no, find on an adult site, not I, an album I title. I literally yes. never associated it with that, but I am fairly certain you have just tainted my mind for like decades to come i am fairly certain 20 years from now i'll be like yeah white teeth black thoughts <laughs> and you know the taint is where you want to go with the black that's thought, right but mm-hmm. uh moving on <laughs> but when you're done there your teeth aren't going to be so white Anyhow. depends on the circumstances <laughs> you know if somebody you know cleans out real good yeah. <laughs> or they use bleach then oh, oh. i brush my teeth thank you 
Maybe Bleach Your <laughs> Asshole is one of my absolute favorite Cherry Pop and Daddy songs. Oh, you did look into their catalog. I did. I did. <laughs> I, I got lost with my thoughts, but. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, <laughs> initial production on White Teeth Black Thoughts began in March 2011, though lasted infrequently throughout the year as the daddies continued to carry out several more successful international tours, including two separate sold out tours of where else but Australia in 2011 and 2012 going down under themselves as opposed and to I some can, australia yeah and i can definitely uh empathize with wanting to go t- down inside of australia well uh, i come from the land down under <laughs> so in mid <laughs> in mid 2012 perry finally elaborated on the production status of the new album revealing that the band had written enough material to release white teeth black thoughts as a double album consisting of the main all swing album and a bonus disc of Americana-influenced rock songs in styles including rockabilly, country, bluegrass, and western swing, the latter disc featuring guest appearances from accordionist Buckwheat Zydeco on a Zydeco song and former Captain Beefheart guitarist Zoot Horn Rollo on a psychobilly track. Those sounded like words. Are you not familiar? So I get. Are you? Have you never heard of Captain Beefheart as an example? Do you really think I would know anything about <laughs> Zydeco? Well, does not strike me as his chosen genre. Well, okay, but, no, Buckwheat Zydeco, I can I can understand not knowing. However, you know he is was rather a legend. He passed away uh, several years back. Rest in peace. Um, yeah, uh, he but he was phenomenal. But I can not under I can understand not knowing that. But you're you know Tom Waits, right? Like you're familiar with Tom Waits. You're so talking to Michael. I I didn't correct. raise any hackles. No, no, here, I know. So. I'm talking to, to Michael. Michael, no, Michael with... does not know Tom Waits. Uh, I don't. I, I don't know music, man. Well, I just assumed you would be. Okay, he just fair plays enough. it. <laughs> yeah, fair he enough. just plays a rusty trombone. Yeah, not very well. Well, uh, <laughs> I. <laughs> There's a red. Oh, also in there. doesn't also doesn't have white teeth. I'll just note for the record. Yeah. But... Mm-hmm. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. I'll, I'll just say for your benefit, Michael. Uh, I would I would say that it's worthwhile if you get a chance to look up Captain Beefheart. If you're only going to listen to a single song of theirs, I would say uh, you know her eyes are a blue million miles. I think is what it, what the song title is. Do you he know won't. that one, Shane? Oh well, for anybody else, he knows there, me uh, too well. <laughs> do it, you won't. Well, for any of those listeners that might be listening and wondering who Captain Beefheart is, it's worth checking out. Uh, Her eyes are a blue million miles. It's a phenomenal song. I think you'll like it. And Captain Beefheart was very much an inspiration for Tom Waits. So any Tom Waits fans out there would probably enjoy Captain Beefheart. Or if you just like the drink, you know, give it a whirl. Yeah. So it, anyways, the long story short there is he's got a couple legends that were, you know, doing some guest work on the album, which is pretty neat. Um, so preceded by the release of two singles and music videos for the songs I Love American Music and The Babooch, uh, White Teeth Black Thoughts was released independently on Space Age Bachelor Pad Records on July 16th, 2013. So in this little chat that we've had since reviewing part three here, it's been a pretty good return to form for the daddies, right? We saw them kind of dip in popularity 
get kicked off their major label uh, record at the end of last uh, episode there. And then when we started this one, we had several years of hiatus there, about four years where nothing was happening with the band, five years or so. And then some just sporadic touring, you know, a couple gigs here and there. And just in the last little bit, we've covered several albums, right? Yeah. Uh, one compilation album and then uh, two original albums, one of which is a double disc. So pretty neat. Mm-hmm. So, following the low-key do-it-yourself release and promotion of Susquehanna and Skyboy JFK, the Daddies worked to heavily publicize White Teeth Black Thoughts, receiving coverage by major news outlets including Billboard and USA Today, while the band later appeared on the Fox-owned KTTV program Good Day LA to perform I Love American Music, their first major television appearance since the 1990s. So they're really out there kind of hitting the pavement hard to try to get some records sold here. So you would have reverted back to us casting. Oh no, it was uh, your your hyper love ballad here. No, don't. Never mind me. Leave me alone. <laughs> Ignore me. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so I love American music. The song marked the daddy's first single since Diamond Light Boogie, uh, thirteen years earlier in the year two thousand. Perry has described the song I love American music as being a dedication to the fans and musicians of American roots music. Perry elaborated, "quote I think what touches me the most in retrospect." <laughs> Uh, about blues music scene oh, uh, okay. were were the kind of minor players who were nonetheless free. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah I, I knew it. I, that's why I stopped to say blues music and stuff because I knew if I said, I think what touches me most were the kind of minor. <laughs> whoa, whoa, like a- <laughs> whoa! Didn't work any better the way you phrased it. I guess was the plight of the working man. That's right. Well, all right. So to to finish the quote, I think what touches me the most in retrospect were the kind of minor players who were nonetheless freaking fantastic and for one reason or another never got the notoriety. These guys lived in squalor in one room crash pads in order to be able to do what they did while their friends and relations went off to sell insurance, program computers and generally take a shot at what they felt was the American dream. Unfortunately, this country does not value its cultural heritage its real dream, and mostly isn't even aware of its glorious history or the lives of their soulful poets. These poor bastards mostly go to their deaths unknown. Many I was fortunate to call my friends, so I wrote a little song for them. So, in January 2014, it was announced that the Eugene Ballet had collaborated with the Daddies for the production entitled Zoot Suit Riot, a dance show set to the music of and featuring live accompaniment from the band featuring choreographed dance routines set to 13 of the daddy songs, ranging from their biggest swing hits to their lesser known rock, pop, and psychedelic songs. So a whole, yeah, a whole ballet to the Cherry Pop and Daddy stuff. It's actually really neat uh, to watch. And I don't even like ballet. Uh, (laughs) Shane's got nothing there. I was like, it's... (laughs) I felt like I felt like either the comment there about you know uh, America not being aware of its glorious history of these yeah, soulful no, poets or the ballet. I thought way, something. Yeah, I, I often find the best way to advertise to the listening public is to insult them and say that they're uncultured. <laughs> it's it's a really bang up way to publicize. In fact, it it denotes the success that they've had thus far with their musical career. <laughs> Christ. Oh my goodness. I'm not I'm not trying to torpedo anybody here. <laughs> but <laughs> Hey listen, no. I, I am a king of failure. I know full well what it's like to think that my art is important and be met with the st- 
stunning reality that no one gives a fuck. I I can do that. I just didn't yell at anybody for it. Well, so. they did have a ballet set to their music. I mean, like that's some <sighs> high art. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, very sophisticated. <laughs> and dogs have been sent into space. So the no song, fault of their own. <laughs> so the songs that they played were like Head Cheerleader, Ride the Snake, right? Yeah, ballerina. Oh, oh, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> so, they show respect when they get to the ballet. That's right. That's <laughs> so we're in 2014 here, right? So during the initial writing and recording period of White Teeth Black Thoughts, the daddies begin playing select shows billed as... The Cherry Pop and Daddies salute the music of the Rat Pack, playing an equal mix of the band's own swing songs as well as covers of songs popularized by the Rat Pack. So, on July 29th, 2014, they released Please Return the Evening, the Cherry Pop and Daddies salute the music of the Rat Pack, uh, and promoted the music with videos uh, for the album's covers of Sinatra Staples' Come Fly With Me, and fly me to the moon. So they're just like in this mm. period of like cranking out a bunch of stuff. Even if um, one of the, so you got Susquehanna original, White Teeth is uh, original, but then of course you got the compilation album with Scott Boy mm-hmm. JFK. That's mm-hmm. a relatively easy one to put together. Very much like Zoot Suit Riot. They also included a couple new songs. The really neat thing about Scott Boy JFK, which I didn't mention at the time, but um, what I really enjoy about it is when they got when they compiled these these uh, songs. You know, ska has different forms, right? You know, there's different ways to play ska and different styles of ska. And they've kind of always bounced around the different styles of ska throughout their different music. But what I liked is when they got together this compilation album, they re-recorded a lot of these ska songs in different styles. So you're getting like a new take, a, a new ska take of a ska song that they wrote themselves, right? So it's like covering your own music and like trying to mix it up and and give it a a new twist and they did that with a lot of the songs on the record so it was kind of neat because when zoot suit riot came out of course they didn't really like they were still a relatively new-ish band and and unknown and that album is really like aside from the few new songs that they put together for zoot suit riot is literally just the songs from the previous albums right so if you already had those albums you weren't getting a whole lot other than a couple new songs or like three or four new songs yeah this one though even for somebody like me, there was like, a, there was, oh, there's a really good reason to own this. Cause yes, I get a few new songs, but also uh, I get new versions like in different styles of these songs that I already have. And then I, I remember, cause I'm like 23 at the time when this came out, I remember making like a playlist of like the songs back to back, right? Where it's like, oh, here's this one and then the next one. And, and then, uh, spending time like chatting with my girlfriend at the time. Uh, like, you know, and making her listen to the two songs and like, which one do you like better? Like, which version do you think is better? And, oh, I like here where he kind of goes into this cadence. But, oh, this one has a little bit of a, a guitar solo here that I really like. And and just spending all this time analyzing uh, the two versions. So it's kind of it was kind of fun to do that. And so, you know, fast forward here, they do uh, Please Return in the Evening, uh, just this kind of standard uh rat pack material very basic stuff in terms of like these are all songs that you're mostly familiar with um and they're not like doing a whole lot to like freshen them up it's just something that you can kind of put on when your grandma's around or if you're a rat pack fan <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that's the only album that you can put on with grandma around <laughs> that's right that's 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 probably why they uh they did it there what 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 is kind of neat about it so uh oh. The, yeah, I, I don't want to be indelicate. 
No, go ahead. I'm about Uh to grab my flair again. Uh So how how many other albums do these motherfuckers have? Well, we're in 2014 here, and there's you know, so there's not going to be that many more. Okay, all right. I just the the editorializing is is starting (laughs) to get to me, man. I'm sorry. It's. I, I get their virtues, but three episodes of this, you're about to drive me fucking nuts. <laughs> well, <laughs> we haven't talked about this for ages, so you had a little bit of a reprieve. That doesn't make it any less excruciating <laughs> that it's like, well, you had to break off from the fucking electrical torture that we were giving you. You haven't had a shock treatment in 12 weeks. Like, yeah, I'm not relishing it. Oh, as I grow into my old age, forgive my old man stories of back in my youth. I remember listening. It's it's, it's different. It's just I, you know, we we. I don't think we have to preach the virtues of every single thing they've committed to take to <laughs> well, tell I'm their not, story. I didn't touch on Susquehanna barely at all. Or uh, white teeth, black thoughts, kind of plowed through those. I just stopped. I was I was enjoying the the cadence, and now we're we're getting back on our on our heels here. Well, all right. So for "Fly Me to the Moon," the album or one of the songs that's covered on this Rat Pack album, uh, one of the kind of the neat things about it is for the video for that they uh, depict it depicts the band uh, as well as Steve Perry's wife and daughter as members of the Adams family. So it's kind of a neat little video there just to watch because. Uh, obviously, the Adams family has nothing to do with the song "Fly Me to the Moon," so the juxtaposition of the two is kind of funny. Uh, Perry elaborated actually on the stylistic choice for the video, noting that we really like the idea of the passionate Gomez and Morticia relationship, even though the Adams are a family of creeps. Their familial love is strong; it's them against the world. We can relate to that on a family as well as a musical level. Uh, and this was all, of course, long before the uh, the recent Wednesday series and stuff. So for Anybody that's kind of into the Adams family or found a new love for it because of the Wednesday series, it's worth checking out the music video for that that song. And draws an interesting parallel to the family of Sinatra. It, you know, broke people's kneecaps and put them mm-hmm. into the ground whenever right. they, you know, got a little gussied. And tried to stop the Godfather from being made as that uh, glorious series that you've shown me so would testify. Good. So, so good. yeah, yeah, I see the parallels. I'm with it. <laughs> So the following December, Perry expressed plans on the Daddy's official Facebook page to further explore the band's swing and jazz influences with yet another cover cover album, this time centered on the hot jazz of the Cotton Club era of the 1920s and 30s. Production on what would eventually be titled The Boopadoo began in spring 2015 in Eugene. Yeah, that's right. It's called The Boopadoo. Oh, man. Uh I just Uh boopadooed. Uh, it, you, the thought the, just boop a dude on me. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, the production for that album uh, was utilized rather vintage recording techniques as well as the use of pre nineteen forties instruments to achieve kind of an authentic jazz era sound. Mm. Uh, and he gives his uh, voice an inflection that is very like Eddie Cantor ish. Um, for anybody that's familiar with him. So it's, it's really kind of a neat uh, album. Cause unlike please return the evening, which is, you know, everybody hears these Sinatra songs like lots, right. It's you know, background music at restaurants and all that. Uh, but this album is all kind of songs that with the exception of we're in the money, it's all songs that you wouldn't really be familiar with, but from like this 1920s era, that's, it is really well done. Um, so the Boopadoo was released on January 2016 uh, and promoted by music videos for the 1930 song uh, That Lindy Hop, uh, which was again directed by uh, Perry. Um, and the name of the album actually just comes from like Steve Perry himself. He uh, dubbed it the era of the Boopadoop. Uh, and so that's what he called the 
album. Uh, I personally <laughs> find it to be a rather strange title. It doesn't really jump off the tongue, but you know, so be it. Uh, so during this period, Perry was also occupied with the task of remixing and remastering the Daddy Zoot Suit Riot compilation, having reobtained the rights from Jive Records in 2014. Uh, speaking on the project, he lamented that the production of Zoot Suit Riot had been rushed and that only first takes had been used, noting that there could have been two or three more takes of the song uh, if we had known the future back then in 1996, uh, noting that after 25 years uh, of the band, uh, I would like to make the record sound a little bit better, which makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I ha Yeah. So the Zoot Suit Riot, the 20th anniversary edition, was released on CD and vinyl in January 2017, uh, which featured five bonus live tracks recorded during the band's 1998 tour. Oh. Uh, yeah, they're kind of neat, but they're largely like mostly forgettable um, in comparison to like the actual recorded songs. Cause there's not like a, they're just their own songs that they're playing live. So there's yeah. nothing particularly great about them. Uh, however, the remastering of Zoot Suit Riot for the 20th anniversary does make the song sound significantly better. So that is like the definitive version to own. Nice. And then, uh, we move on to their most recent album <laughs> as, and I'm sure Shane will be quite happy. Oh, I'm uh, grinning from ear to ear. <laughs> yeah, I figure, yeah. So uh, this album uh, is titled Bigger Life here. So while the Daddies dedicated most of the 2010s to playing and recording swing and jazz music, Perry first revealed in a 2014 interview with the Huffington Post that he had started writing new non-swing songs for the next original Daddies album, describing his ambitions of making a psychobilly Zappa American idiot type record that paints a picture of the American socio-political scene, emphasizing his desire to experiment with rockabilly and roots rock. Uh, and so I was getting very excited. You know, this is all happening in like 2014. I was like, oh, we're going to have a new album very soon. It took another five years. Uh, in 2016, Perry described the upcoming record as a little like Ferociously Stoned 2, if you remember Ferociously Stoned being their very first album. Um, and standing very differently than the rest because it's very funk influenced. So I was very excited when I heard that in 2016 as well. There's my editorial for this album, uh, <laughs> featuring a primary emphasis on rock and funk. And then later in 2017, he said, uh, it will also be a swing ska psychobilly rockabilly record. So in March of 2019, the Daddies premiered the first single and music video for Bigger Life on their YouTube channel, a ska punk song titled, Jim Rat, followed by two additional singles and music videos for the songs Diesel Punks, a rockabilly-styled song uh, influenced by the science fiction subgenre of diesel punk, which is kind of neat, and the Celtic punk rock folk-influenced Yankee Pride. Yankee Pride is a bit of an interesting song just because uh, if you only had the standard version of White Teeth Black Thoughts or the only version that streams on Amazon Music, for instance, and Spotify, then you uh, you don't have that kind of that double disc version of White Teeth Black Thoughts. So you don't have the song Throwback Man. Yankee Pride is just a completely different take on the song Throwback Man. Uh, so it sounds completely different. Uh, but if you have the double disc one that you bought through their website, you'd be like, oh, I know this song. This, this is another example of them covering their own, um, stuff. their own stuff, but completely changing it up. To that point, uh, something else that I didn't mention with Black Teeth, White Thoughts is there's a song on that. It's a swing song, very slow, very kind of jazzy style swing called Subway Killer. That is a cover of the White Hot Odyssey's uh, 70s rock and roll version of Subway Killer. So uh, Cherry Pop and Daddies were covering White Hot Odyssey there. 
Now, but is the subway underground? I was going to ask that exact same question. <laughs> yes, I, I suppose it would have been better because you can get away with murder much easier killing. underground <laughs> than you could on an elevated train. Mm-hmm. 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 So, with bigger life, the daddies decided to celebrate it with a show at Eugene's Wow Hall the same day that they released the album, uh, which is where the Daddies debuted a new stage show focusing exclusively on the band's repertoire of ska and ska punk songs, a set they continued to perform at select shows and festivals, including revisiting the Victoria Ska Festival in British Columbia in 2019. Of course, this time I was in Austin, Texas, so I did not attend that one, but it was nice that I had some friends that were able to make it. Uh, Bigger Life heralded a return to the punk rock influences, which had defined the Daddy's earlier albums that we covered extensively a few episodes back, uh, featuring a dominant musical focus on ska and ska punk and psychobilly, as well as lyrical content both critically and satirically addressing contemporary American politics. Bigger Life marked a return to the Daddy's eclectic uh, multi-genre album format, their first such record since Susquehanna in 2008 since they had had a compilation album and a couple covers, and then, of course, Bigger Life was just like swing. Um, so described by singer-songwriter Steve Perry as a throwback to our ferociously stone days mixed with our ska core influence of the Kids on the Street era, much of the music on Bigger Life is influenced uh, by punk rock, exploring subgenres uh, such as ska punk and Celtic punk and whatnot. Lyrically, Bigger Life is one of the Daddy's most overtly political albums, addressing topics such as race relations, class consciousness, the opioid crisis, and the erosion of democratic ideals, as well as boobs. Um, (laughs) Don't make boobs political, man. Don't do it. That's right. (laughs) Boobs are apolitical. Yeah. Uh, some uh, some my body, my choice people might disagree with you there. <laughs> so Perry further elaborated on these themes in an article by Paste pointing out, or, uh, sorry, about Trump era protest music, stating his intent with Bigger Life on being, quote, deeply critical of racist and authorita- authoritarian elements in the U.S., while also being empathetic to working class frustration, given the reality that the working class is being economically pressured and manipulated simultaneously by an emboldened nationalist movement and their sources of propaganda. So Bigger Life kind of returning to some of those working class Mm-hmm. You know, the raw, raw songs, yeah. That's gotta, right. gotta do the, the tap there. It's very yeah. important. <laughs> like Ferociously Stone, the album also includes a return to some rather juvenile lyrics. Right? So we've you got that stuff talk, about... You can't talk about the working man without talking about boobs. <laughs> that's right. Well, if you recall Flovilla's lyrics about a woman's breasts, you know, <clears throat> from uh, Ferociously Stone, Bigger Life has a song called Schizo about an ostracized teenager who goes to a high school dance and dances crazy where perry sings quote it was the day of the dance all my eighth grade friends were leaning on the dj booth all the girls in the hall we was watching them all i figured i'd start it up for my crew there'd been tension building up watching jill's round butt sticking out in our homeroom Yes, I see. You said eighth grade. <laughs> yeah, well, in defense, the the protagonist <laughs> is in eighth grade. Don't you dare, <laughs> uh, Dean, to start throwing terms around like the protagonist. 
<laughs> when addressing this material. <laughs> Isn't a, a <laughs> fucking time-traveling movie. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Fair enough. Yeah, the uh, the, the song is, is rather juvenile. It's just about trying to get people to dance. But it's funny because uh, he gets bullied at one point, and so he... He ends up telling the bully in the song to uh, sniff his anal vapor. Yeah. And uh, and then it says, you know, bend up and sniff my anal vapor. Your face is my toilet paper. Says so, the uh, protagonist. Yeah. Yeah. To, to the bully. Yeah. Mm, mm, it's fitting. It works. <laughs> I said it Man, was going to turn some juvenile I lyrics there. I picked the wrong fucking day to stop huffing glue. <laughs> to stop huffing that <laughs> anal vapor. That's right. Uh, no, That's I'm right. still huffing that. Black thoughts and all. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Maybe this end dust will work instead. I, <laughs> I expected <laughs> you were just gonna shoot it off. Yeah, that's I'm what I was thinking too. It. I was like, oh, where where are we going with that? We're getting there. Mm, canned air, the best kind of air. Multi-purpose well, duster. Maybe I can get this stuff out of my head. <laughs> yeah, so all that came out in June t- or back in 2019 there. So uh, since then, they've really just released a couple songs here and there. They have a glam rock song called uh, Faux Nice Mock Fancy, uh, which is kind of neat. The The cool thing there is for those that were part of the Daddy's Fan Club, they sent out the demo version of that song before they came out with the final version. The final version uh, drastically different than the demo version. So it's kind of neat because you can listen to both. And the demo actually sounds like a completed track. It just sounds like a, a different styled one. Um, so it's kind of neat to be on like the little insides there of that. And then they came out with a... Uh, sounds like a lyric. <laughs> and they came out with a cover of the uh, the King's like hit from the 80s there, the Canadian band, uh, Switching to Glide. So that was also kind of fun. Um, but kind of just to close things out here, in October 2022, so just a few months back there, Perry revealed that he had spent much of the pandemic writing three albums worth of original material. Oh. Inclu- yeah, that's right. Including an all-swing album, a ska punk, sorry, a ska pop funk album, and a psychobilly album. So um, that's pretty exciting because there's three albums worth of material there that I'm hoping we'll get to hear in the not too distant future. But of course he was talking about a uh, bigger life back in like 2014 about having already gathered material for that. And it took five years for that to come out. So who knows if that's coming soon. And then just lastly, in November, 2022, Steve Perry of the cherry pop and daddy's fame and Steve Perry of journey fame announced a planned concert in the Pacific Northwest. Nope. Not a early- chance. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, that's bullshit. Good job. They, those two cannot occupy the same space time. <laughs> They'll annihilate each other. It'll be like an, a, you know, an imploding star. The two of them will just, you know, yeah. So the things. the little lie there to just to spit out the rest of it. There was Steve Perry of Cherry Pop and Daddy's fame, and Steve Perry of Journey fame announced a planned concert in the Pacific Northwest for early 2023, titled "One Night with Steve and Perry." which will focus on the 70s and 80s rock music that influenced both artists. And to give Shane an opportunity to assassinate at least one of them. That's right. Is it Steve? Is it Perry? Who knows? Bum, bum, bum. But yes, okay, so there you have it, Shane. God your bless tor- you. Your torture is over. It, it's it's not torture. <laughs> I just, after a while... <laughs> If I want to just, you know, make my own decisions about the music, I'll just go listen to the damn thing. 
but well okay but your so to that your comments on the editorializing had nothing to do with me promoting the music it was more about my little like side pieces of oh no, i remember I, when i did this and, no you know. what i what i was referring to as editorializing is saying this is what the concept of the material is and here's how the material was executed and here is how he aggrandized said material oh, yeah, yeah. and all these things whereas like it's if you're just giving a linear story of here's where they were here's what they did this is what the thing was that's great but once we start kind of unrolling that over and over and over it's a tumble dryer of doom that i will never escape from <laughs> and so that's what i was referring to not your your storytelling i appreciate i will go on the ride with you but after 18 more times of hearing steve perry talk about how brilliant he is and how everybody else is a you know a, a mouth breathing fuckwit then i you know i've reached a point where i think i've i've assimilated his message and well it's uh, funny that I you can point that out it. so like kind of to to piggyback on that i kind of agree a little bit if i'm being honest so i um you know i had like i, I got to meet him a couple times and you know the interactions were fantastic right mm-hmm. nice mm-hmm. nice nice bloke uh but uh, I watched an interview that he did, you know, maybe like two years ago now or something like that, dur- somewhere during the pandemic anyways. And it was like an hour long interview. And it was the first time that I'd really seen uh, any length of like solid length of interview there with him, right? Other than just a couple articles here and there. And I did, I, you know, even though I love the band and I'm a huge fan, mm-hmm. I I could not help but with some of the stuff he said in the interview, I was like, well, that seems a little cocky. <laughs> like, that seems a little well, arrogant. Here's a, you know, I, I, not to just completely deflate my own, this is frustration talking. Uh, as, a, as a musician in general, and this is not to self-aggrandize here or conflate myself in any way, shape, or form, but you're asked questions about music. And so you do sound, if you're asked to talk about it at all, you're going to sound either pretentious or imbecilic. Because someone's going to ask you, what does your music sound like? And if you say, oh, well, we kind of sound like everything or oh, we don't really have a genre, you sound like an absolute imbecile. But it, if you're going to give an impassioned dialectic about the material that you've composed and the things that inspire you, then obviously he's well you know, equipped to do so. So I don't hold that against him at all. And it's, I, I'm more joshing at the fact that it's kind of one of those things where like we are a, a touch and go sort of first blush, quick introduction to people. So the I think the granularity of the discussion is more of what I'm poking fun at. He can go on. I have nothing against Steve Perry nor the Cherry Bob and Daddies that I think if you're going to talk about, because if you read stuff that I wrote for Damn, even our website sounds pretentious as hell. If I look at it just through rose colored glasses of going back and it's like, oh, no, I'm talking about it's like, no, it's me being asked, why did you write a concept album? What does it mean to you? And you're like, well, how the hell am I going to explain this without saying, well, this is what I hope to paint with here are the overtones I hope we're going to. So this is more of a, you know, me speaking to like kind as another pretentious asshole. Uh, I can, I can smell the, the scent of his uh, anal vapor and I'm, <laughs> I'm picking up what he's putting down. So I don't, I don't intend to sound like an insufferable blowhard to that end. I think it's just one of those things that it's easier to make an impression with music when you listen to music. Mm-hmm. I have always found like describing music to somebody is really a difficult avenue to try to peruse. That's why I don't do it. So it's more a personal preference. 
So I, I don't want to just continually hurl all that rhetoric at you to make you feel bad. It's more of just that I I think that my my brain just started to try to eat its way out of my well, skull. Thank goodness he only has three albums worth of original material yeah, and thank didn't God come I out with make the it. three albums. <laughs> Can you imagine? Well, we're up to 2019, and luckily for us, during between the uh, last episode and this episode, three new <laughs> albums have dropped, so uh-huh. we were getting ready for the exciting conclusion of the Cherry Pop and Daddies, but <laughs> buckle up, kids. We can look <laughs> forward to the next installment, but Michael, you were going to say something oh, before we cret uh, you off. Uh, yeah, no, uh, no, I agree with the point that you're making for music. I feel like that can apply even in a more general sense to just uh experts in their field or mm-hmm. like when you are when you are knowledgeable about something and people are like i mean cuz i feel like this when you were saying when you were explaining how you feel about explaining your your albums and like oh what is it oh it's you know a little bit of everything or you go in explicit detail like i feel like that whenever i'm trying to talk about physics with someone i mm-hmm. either have to dumb it down to where and not necessarily i dumb it down as a is a poor choice of words. I either have to simplify it enough to where I gravity makes things fall down. Uh, (laughs) Right. Or then I start talking about, you know, uh, quantum particles and entanglement and other things like that. So I either sound like I'm talking to a five-year-old, which is insulting in its own way. Cause it's like, yeah, I know gravity falls down. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, But then other, on the other side, I'm sounding very pretentious. Like, you know, the, well, actually if we factor in, you know, quantum, whatever. So I feel like that's something, especially for stuff that people assume that they have some sort of knowledge of. Cause a lot of people, you talk to anyone, they're like, yeah, I, I, I know music, like, you know, Mm -hmm. sounds in my ears and stuff like that. Well, and then to kneecap myself on top of this so that I don't leave sounding like I'm just buffaloing you, <laughs> uh, this is the first episode you've ever presented here, so I this needs to be taken with a, a grain of salt that I'm giving you any criticism at all. <laughs> I, I feel like if you are going to have the absolute end guide to the catalog of the Cherry Pop and Daddies, this is the authoritative author's edition <laughs> Of the history of the Cherry Pop and Daddies. Yeah. And hopefully when you have Steve listen to this when he's sleeping in your home as you're cuddling up next to him, right before the pillow goes down over the top of his head, he will know how much you loved him mm-hmm. right before his death descends. Well, the man was wise because as I concluded this you know, little recap of their history – he just announced that he's got three albums worth of material. So, you know, I can't off the guy now. Unless, oh, you say that. Unless he releases the albums between mm-hmm. now and September. Nope. You have not either read or seen Misery. Because <laughs> once you get him in your house, you'll get those albums, whether he wants to or not. You can just oh, bring in a banjo and make him play the entirety of the thing for you. It's like, I don't like how that song came out, Steve. And if you don't want me to <laughs> hobble you again, you might want to rewrite that. <laughs> I don't hear my name in it, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> Misery. Tell me you love me. Tell I me am, in me. fact, the doctor. <laughs> and the only one who's going to fix you up so you play the fucking swing music. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Oh, I'm, you know, I, I, I'm stare, Steve Perry, you know, like Metallica, because they're right around that same age. I think, like, mm-hmm. literally, I think they're all about 59, 60 years old right now. Um, you know, really kind of serves as an inspiration, though, because I look at, like, Perry's out here touring, creating new music, you know, living the life that he was living 
literally 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. And James and Lars and Kirk, they're out there, you know, creating new music, touring, living the life they were living 30 years ago. And I think like, yep. you know, these guys are like 25 years older than me, you know, 20 some odd years older. And I'm like, well, damn, like, you know, every time I feel like ah, I'm getting old, it's like, well, no, you know, like there's a lot of good life left to live. So it's it's kind of inspirational. See, and they're out there uh, and and still doing the great things that they were doing. And I'm over here counting days until I die. And they got 20 years on me. So uh, it's a lot of days. Yeah. Inspiration indeed. Yeah. Well, you, you know, you say that, but you also just got married and all that. So. Oh, absolutely. You know. I'm trying to leave her as much of my money as I can before we blow through it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Life insurance run. is only good if you cash it in, friend. I hate to tell you, but. <laughs> And uh, speaking of cashing in your life insurance, I don't know whether we're doing that on this show, but we're definitely going to be doing it for this week. And uh, Michael is excited to announce that we are going to have yet another installment of After Dark this week. Do you want to titillate the listeners, Miguel? Uh, Yeah, so uh, a fan, uh, bad artist Jesse, has uh, recommended that we watch... (laughs) A fan coom co-host, if we're going to, you know. (laughs) Pretty much, yeah. Uh, (laughs) That we watch uh, some Ghost Adventures clips and and react to them. Uh, So Okay. Were any presented to you? No. Oh, we have to find some. What is the premise of Ghost Hunter? Is it just they they go into houses? Okay, that's... Uh (laughs) <laughs> and that's what I was like, is it just going into haunted well, houses and looking for ghosts? We'll get into the granularity of all the various ghost hunting shows and why Ghost Adventures in particular is the one that draws so much controversy and ire, I think, when we get into the actual recording of the episode itself. But uh, just for those of you who are looking. Uh, I saw a couple episodes. Uh, Melissa raves about it and and enjoys it immensely, and I thought it was very charming. I I just did not have the uh, the need to sit down and watch all of them, but it it's an interesting premise. I like the concept. Okay, Same. yeah. Then never mind, because I was going to ask it because I think that I, they have like a little like ghost chasers thing within. Oh yeah, that's the supernatural like a, universe. A- plot arc or not a plot arc but like a sub arc or, or something like that where they actually like a, they occasionally appear or something like that is that correct yeah, yeah. And so I, I was wondering if that was like their little like you know take on most Hunters. likely i would say yeah based okay. off of what little i know of supernatural the take on me mm-hmm. i don't want to upset the super hulakians i've already done that plenty of times the, the they fa- called the fan base for Supernatural, Doctor Who, and Sherlock. Yes. Oh, interesting. Supernatural is really cool just because it's. It was also filmed in Vancouver, and like, I having worked in the restaurant industry for so many years, obviously a lot of servers are also actors, right? So <laughs> there, there are like people that I worked with that I will see appear in like episodes here and there. There's like an episode of Supernatural in like season four or something like that. It's filmed all in black and white. And in the very first scene, there's like a, a young guy and a woman like making out in, um, you know, in a car, like in its black and white and like a set in like the 1950s. Yeah. And, uh, and like some werewolf comes and like yanks the guy through the window and kills him and eats him and stuff. And, uh, anyways, the guy that he yanks through was like a server at the restaurant I was managing at. And he had to ask me for the time off to go film that thing. And so it was like huh. really neat. Cause then he's like, yeah, watch this episode. That's the one that I did when like, remember when I had to request the time off? And so it always like cracks me up when I see it. See, and then the only correlative I have to that is that someone who I worked with at Tower Records went on to become a very famous adult film star. So Ooh. yeah. 
the stories we have just swimming in our little brains. Mm-hmm. How strange. <laughs> well, I think that is going well, to finally. Before we end, uh, we didn't oh, cover no. the lies. <laughs> oh. I don't care. Why are you putting... <laughs> I mean, That's fair. fair Nobody listening cares either. Um, <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, it, no, it, it, it I, got I'm so derailed. Sorry. Yes, we got no. ahead of ourselves. But, no, it was uh, so derailed that I completely right. forgot as so well. So we had four lies initially. I feel like we, we got a good chunk. Michael got three. a good chunk. Uh, yeah, so there was the hot tub party promoting hot tub time machine on SNL. You caught that. Uh, there was the... Um, the one night return of the Dildorado, you caught that. Of course, there was the uh, one night with Steve and Perry, you caught that. Uh, the only uh, minor lie uh, was when I was talking about in two thousand nine. The miners, <laughs> yes, the miners. Uh, it all makes sense. Yeah, they never uh, talked about the working class in, in eighth grade homeroom. Uh, <laughs> so. Yeah, in when I talked about in July 2009, they came out with uh, Ska Boy JFK, the skunkin' hits of the Cherry Poppin' Daddies, and said that the compilation was of the Ska material called from the first five albums, and they named the album the Skunkin' Hits in reference to the unique mix of punk and ska. That was the lie because it is actually called the Skankin' Hits. Uh, skunk, in terms of a mix of punk and ska is usually referred to for sublime and whatnot. So it is an actual oh. term. They just didn't coin the term. Huh. Uh, so it's actually skank the skanking hits. Uh, yeah. It, it's the just skanking rolls hits off of the, the tongue. And Daddies. Yes. So, makes a lot more sense with a lot of their lyrics that they would indeed. be skanking. And yeah. skanks and thoughts and all the other. Yeah. It's, uh, I think Steve's got stock in Pornhub. Yeah, and after presenting these, I think the only swinging I'm going to be doing is from a noose in my bedroom. <laughs> oh, God. Whoa, whoa, zero to sixty. A, a former host of this show has a song about uh, hanging himself from Christmas lights, so it's in keeping with the the fashion of the times, I suppose. The uh, Cherry Pop and Daddies have a Christmas song. Doesn't appear on any <laughs> album, but it is called Butch the Gay Santa Claus, and it is about Butch the Gay Santa Claus, a mall Santa Claus who nose is not the only thing that gets red uh, when the kids come and sit on his lap. And uh... <laughs> so we're ending on pedophilia. Okay. Oh my god! It, well, it's yeah, it's a. Uh, it's a morbid tune, but I've told yeah, you before. We're that not they have talking rather about Santa mor- Sack anymore. I yeah. think we're gonna we're gonna move on before this slays us. But uh, I didn't think I'd be canceled for that reason. <laughs> huh. The more yeah. you know. Okay, well, and and us and me. I I wish that I had a a uh, sobering segue to get us out of <laughs> kitty fiddling, but. Mary- Speaking of people who, you know, needed to die and die a painful death, I'm one, so sign me up. Uh, If darkness had a sun. So, that is going to throw us into the loam for this week's episode, another stirring installment, and hopefully you have enjoyed this sordid saga. If you have, there are ways you can indicate. You can, of course, like, subscribe, rate, and review. We would love to hear from you. You can find us on all of your disreputable podcast apps. We have new episodes winging your way every lovely Monday morning, and there is a link in the show notes that'll take you to all of our irrelevant socials, so you can follow us there and engage with all of our dead profiles they are very delightful if you enjoy going and seeing a little time capsule of when we cared and so (laughs) 
I think that is going to officially bring things to a close for this evening's exploits and for the Disinformed podcast this week. I uh, well, I shouldn't do that. I have now just stuck my foot in my own mouth. I oh. I'm so frazzled I can't form a cogent simile. <laughs> uh, we have, of course, YouTube, which is still semi vibrant. It's in the death rattles, so the shorts are are slowly weaning their way out. But we're going to have the after dark this week, so please return, go check that out. We've moved that to Fridays so that we can kind of balance your week out with new material on both Mondays and Fridays, so that you can get something to kind of help sandwich your week <laughs> with delightful joy so please go check that out that is in the link down below in the show notes so you can find us there if you don't know where our youtube is and that is finally going to bring a summary conclusion to my ham-fisted outro so for the disinformed podcast this week i'm shane and i'm and michael, I'm michael. And zippity zoop, we're out of here. <laughs> <laughs>